Money FM 89.3. Best of drive time. Time now to shift our attention to headlines out of the United States. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the U.S.'s debt ceiling crisis to the possibility of former U.S. President Donald Trump becoming president once again. And on the line to help me out with these headlines is Trisha Craig, Vice President Engagement and Senior Lecturer of Social Sciences, Sociology and Political Science for Yale and U.S. College. Trisha, good afternoon. How are you? Hey, Elliot. I'm well. We've got uh, lots of headlines to get through. Some good, some bad, some, well, I guess only imagination uh, can be used for those. Uh, Let's start off with the U.S. uh, debt ceiling agreement between the White House and Republicans in Congress. Um, Talks seem to have been postponed to sometime early this week. How worried should we be with regard to this U.S. debt ceiling if it's not lifted? What's the impact going to be on the U.S. economy? Uh, We should be pretty worried, actually. Mm. Right now, it looks like the U.S. is going to run out of money by about June 1st. That's a month earlier than than we had originally thought, which means the talks now are are really critical. We're at, a, we're at really admission critical. Default would really be catastrophic, not just for the U.S., but for the world. So, But for the U.S., it would probably mean a plunge in the stock market. It would delay payments, things like Social Security uh, pension benefits to the elderly, salaries for government workers. Interest rates would go up, which would probably hurt the housing market. And I think it would probably tip the economy into a recession, which so far it has been holding that off. With regard to tipping economies into recession, some would argue in a perspective that that's probably a good thing. I mean, from your perspective, Tricia, is the U.S. debt ceiling melodrama rooted in the country's neoliberalism? No, I don't think, or at least I think what is sort of overshadowing that is that it's more rooted in the political polarization of the Ah. country. If you go back to 2011, under the Obama administration, we had a very similar situation. The House was controlled, the House of Representatives was controlled by Republicans. They were demanding spending cuts to raise the debt ceiling. It went really to the brink of default. The U.S. narrowly avoided that literally by 72 hours. But even though it avoided it, it wasn't without consequences. We had wild swings in the stock market. There was the unprecedented downgrading of U.S. credit, which meant that borrowing costs went up and it really undercut trust in the U.S. economy. And that kind of brinkmanship, which where we are today, it's really dangerous. And I think it's more dangerous today because the political divide is greater now than it was a decade ago. Not to confuse things, or in case I'm starting to get confused, does this have an impact with regard to the Fed's fight against inflation? It would okay. probably drive up inflation. It would also cause a sort of a decline in, in the dollar that mm. would have all kinds of implications globally as well. Okay, okay. Uh, let's move on to talk about Hunter Biden, who will soon learn his legal fate. Uh, federal prosecutor's investigation into President's son is nearing its conclusion. Now, according to CNN, there are four possible charges in the mix. Let's talk about the indictment or potential indictment of Hunter Biden. Um, what can we expect here? Well, as CNN told us, um, there are a couple different charges that they're thinking about. There are two misdemeanors around tax filings. There's another slightly more serious one, a felony of tax evasion, and another one, which is a peculiarly peculiarly U.S. kind of thing, which is failure to disclose drug use when buying a gun. So those are the charges. And one of the things that we know is that they were considering some other things, some more serious charges, but these seem to be the ones that they have focused on for now. So with regard to Joe Biden's re-election efforts, you know, with all this controversy surrounding his son, not to mention him, but I brought him up once, I'll bring him up again next year. What are the odds that this could have an effect on his re-election campaign? Well, I think the Republicans are certainly going to make it an issue because, even look, even if 
the charges with the Justice Department come out, let's say Hunter Biden gets something between a slap on the wrist and yeah. serious jail time. So even then, it, it's not over because right now, and as they promised during the primaries, the Republicans in the House are looking into this. So the House Oversight Committee is looking at members of the Biden family, at Hunter Biden. And even though there's no indication that any of this really implicates President Biden or influenced him in any way, they're going to keep sort of beating this drum through the election season. Mm, my uh, President Trump imitation, not so good there, I think. The first things first on Donald Trump's agenda going into next year is to win the Republican Party's presidential mm-hmm. nomination. This should be done and dusted. Do you think there could be any potential last minute drama here? You know, I think there's a lot of drama if he gets the nomination. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of drama. Oh, um, so yeah, so his first task is winning the the nomination. And you know, I think most people sort of thought we would have a competitive race. Ron DeSantis, of course, the Florida governor, kind of the the front runner. But right now, it's really quite unprecedented. Donald Trump mm. is polling above fifty percent among likely Republican voters. Nobody's ever had that kind of lead in a Republican primary at this point. And DeSantis is well, well behind at 20%. And his star really seems like it's fading. You know, he's got these sort of seemingly very personalistic attacks on Disney. Mm -hmm. He doesn't seem very presidential. And so I think, you know, it's looking more and more likely, stunningly, that Trump will get the nomination. With regard to uh, how Trump is is polling, you know, despite all the controversies and whatever uh, abuse cases or legal cases that are being thrown at him, it's that voter base that somehow you just can't fight if you were vying for that nomination. I mean, it really is almost like a cult. There is nothing that he can do, as we've seen, that will sort of break that hold. You know, he was recently the case that a writer brought against him yeah. for sexual abuse. Yeah, that did yeah. not go, you know, he was he was found guilty on several of those charges. That has not weakened. And really, when you ask people, when you ask his supporters, they simply don't believe his accusers, yeah. even though, you know, there are lines out the door. But they're just, no, this is not credible. Of course, a jury of his peers in New York found that it was credible. Okay, I'll tell you what, Trisha, I'm going to try and look at it as glass half full for the Democrats, if I'm going to take their side just for, for a second here. Trump gets a nomination, then it's a rematch of 2020. 2020 went in favor of uh, the Democrats, so perhaps maybe they should be positive about this. Or is there a danger there? Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think that when, you know, of course, there's been a lot of discussion about whether Biden, uh, almost entirely due to his age, should be the should be the Democratic candidate. And the response is always, look, he has shown different than anybody else in the Democratic Party that he can beat Trump. However, I don't think at all that this is a done deal. If you look again, going back to the polling, if you look at the polling, if, if elections were held tomorrow, stunningly, Trump would win 44 to 38. And that is something that I think all Democrats should be scared about. And I think really all Americans should be frightened by. Yeah, well, the newsmakers will be uh, looking at that scenario, the amount of work that we'll be doing uh, or news that will be furnished with. But Trisha, let's uh, move on to a thing called Title Mm -hmm. 42 migration restrictions being ended. I got to admit, I don't quite understand this immigration law uh, any chance you could help uh, expand on it a little bit and, and why has it ended yeah it is a very confusing law so in fact 
Title 42 started under the Trump administration during the pandemic. It's a really a public health law, okay. but it was a backdoor to stop immigration. And so the way that they did that was they argued, look, these immigration centers on the U.S. side of the border are not built to quarantine people. People couldn't do social distancing. And so from there, what happened is it allowed people to be quickly expelled without being able to ask for asylum. So it was really just a way to sort of throw the immigrants trying to cross the border back over the border. And with the official ending of I mean, obviously, you know, COVID is is still with us, but um, officially COVID is no longer a national emergency in the U.S. And so with that, Title 42 also disappears. So now we have so now we have to go back to a different kind of uh, immigration law. And supposedly this new immigration law is tougher than the previous policy, right? Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is in the run up to Title 42 disappearing, everyone thought we're going to have this massive surge at the border because with the disappearance of it, what sort of got reinstated was people's ability to apply for asylum. And so there was this assumption that there were going to be masses and masses of people. And in fact, that hasn't happened. It doesn't mean that it, that the numbers won't go up in the future, but it is a little bit surprising that we haven't seen uh, a massive surge. What's going on, though, in terms of policy changes on what the Biden administration is trying to do is create more legal pathways for immigrants and not all like right at the border. So applying um, for asylum in other countries before you get into Mexico, for example, more spots for immigrants from places like Haiti, Venezuela, Cuba, Uh Nicaragua. But at the same time, they've really toughened up other stuff like higher fines, imprisonment for people illegally crossing the border. But one of the things I think that the the new Biden rules are showing is just how tough immigration reform Mm. in the U.S. is because he's being criticized and lawsuits are being brought both by Republicans and liberal Democrats. Well, thank you so much for explaining that to us. Uh, Tricia Craig, Vice President, Engagement and Senior Lecturer of Social Sciences, Sociology and Political Science for Yale and U.S. College. Tricia, I appreciate your time as always. Take care and have a great Monday evening. Thank you. Always a pleasure. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.